So please turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Proverbs. We are picking up today in Proverbs chapter 30. We will begin in verse 17. Um, originally, by the time I did the bulletin, we were I was planning on covering 17 to the end of the chapter. Um, that is uh, going to become two sermons now. We will cover uh, verses 17 through 23 and then also uh, 32 and 33 today. Um, and then we'll cover that, that middle section uh, next week. Almost said tomorrow, but it's next week. So, um, so please read with me as we read today uh, Proverbs chapter 30, beginning in verse 17, and then uh, wrapping up with 33 and 32, or 32 and 33. The eye that mocks a father that scorns obedience to a mother will be pecked out by the ravens of the valley, will be eaten by the vultures. There are three things that are too amazing for me, four that I do not understand. The way of an eagle in the sky, the way of a snake on a rock, the way of a ship on the high seas, and the way of a man with a maiden. This is the way of an adulteress. She eats eats and wipes her mouth, says, I've done nothing wrong. Under three things, the earth trembles, under four it cannot bear up. A servant who becomes king, a fool who is full of food, an unloved woman who is married and a maidservant that who displaces her mistress. And then down to verse 32. If you have played the fool and exalted yourself, or if you have planned evil, clap your hand over your mouth. For as churning, the milk produces butter. And as twisting the nose produces blood, so stirring up anger produces strife. Let us pray. God and, and Father, you have, have called us to flee the idols, to flee temptations of this world, to pursue righteousness, to pursue godliness, to pursue faith and love, steadfastness and gentleness. You direct and strengthen us for these pursuits through the reading and preaching of your word. As we approach this passage today, give us the humility to listen and the willingness to be changed. Keep my words faithful and loving and use them for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. So today we're going to look at the reality that God takes his intentions for the created order very seriously. And as we do that, we will look and to see how oftentimes we can be blind to impending judgment because of either our spiritual condition or our willful looking away from what is plain before us. How this uh, call to judgment against things that threaten marriage Show us God's intended nature and our hope of redemption through God and through repentance. First, we can be blinded by the darkness. Verses 17 and 19 highlight two people that in this passage and also other places throughout the book of Proverbs are set apart or marked for judgment, the rebellious child and the adulteress. Now, the entire book is written from a father to a son to teach him the ways of wisdom. And when he gets to the age where it is time for him to decide for himself whether he will follow folly or follow wisdom, he can either honor his parents by choosing the way of wisdom, choosing the way of righteousness, or he can show his contempt and disrespect and dishonor for his parents by choosing the way of folly. And the warning here is that by despising the parents and their teaching, by by mocking and scorning obedience to the words of the father and the mother, the child can bring judgment upon himself. The fifth commandment is clear that children are called to honor their parents 
and find life while it implicitly says that dishonor leads to death. Deuteronomy 21, 18 through 21 lays out the procedures for parents to bring the willfully rebellious and unrepentant child before the elders and to have judgment executed upon that rebellious child. Also throughout the book of Proverbs, the son is called to avoid the adulteress because, adulteress because her way leads to death. She may tempt with sights and with sounds, but he is commanded to turn her, his back on her and follow the ways of wisdom because she brings death and judgment upon herself and her victims. The seventh commandment forbids any sexual relationship outside the bounds of God-ordained marriage. Leviticus 18 and Deuteronomy 22 lay out the penalties used to punish both parties in an adulterous situation. We are given insight into why God, through the author of Proverbs, calls judgment upon the rebellious child and the adulteress. And it's because those particular sins go against nature. Look at verse 18 and 19, There are, or excuse me, 21 through 23. Under three things the earth trembles, under four it cannot bear up. That word there for trembles is used in the prophets. It was used in the a reading from Joel earlier to talk about how the earth reacts to God's judgment. Why would the earth tremble? Why would the earth not be able to bear up under the weight of a servant who becomes king or a fool who is full of food? an unloved woman who is married or a maidservant who displaces her mistress. The picture in each, of in each of these four things is something that should not be. The servant who becomes king, the language there talks about a servant who usurps or rebels against the king and takes a place that is not his. The fool who is full of food. We've been told throughout the book of Proverbs that fools can expect judgment and destitution. And so a fool who is full of food is someone who is in a place where they should not be. An unloved woman, now we're tempted to have sympathy for the unloved woman here, but it's more the unlovable woman. It's that woman that's shown in the rest of Proverbs to be better to live on the corner of a house or to be more like a dripping, uh, a, a dripping leak in the roof uh, than, the, to, than to live with a cantankerous, and rebellious woman. And then finally, the maidservant who displaces her mistress, maybe through adultery, maybe through seducing the master of the house. All of these things are people who have taken themselves out of a God-ordained place and put themselves somewhere else through sinful means. And so this points us to the reality that the rebellious child and the adulteress the adulterous person is rebelling against God's ordained institution, specifically of marriage. And when, and when judgment comes upon them, they are going to respond, well, well, what did I do wrong? I haven't done anything wrong. They are willfully ignorant. And that previous list of four things points to their lack of understanding of why they have done wrong, the way of an eagle in the sky, the way of a snake on a rock, the way of a ship on the high seas, the way of a man with a maiden. The picture in those four things in verse 19 is, is illustrated by the story of you're walking through a field and you come upon a fence post and on top of that fence post is a turtle 
What question do you ask? How did the turtle get there? How does a eagle in the sky get from point A to point B? What was point A? There's no way by looking up in the sky to see the trail that the eagle left. How does a snake get on top of a rock? You know how I can get on top of a rock? I can climb, but the snake doesn't have hands. The snake doesn't have legs. I, I remember one time we walked into one of the churches that we attended while we were in Florida, and I happened to look to the right side of the door, and, and there in the bricks was a little black snake that had just kind of crawled its way up the, the mortar in between the bricks. And I'm like, how did he get there? It's the picture that we have here. The way of a ship on the high seas, there's no way to tell where the ship came from or how it got there if you just see a ship in the middle of the ocean. And gentlemen, maybe many of you can agree with me. You look at your wife and you say, how did I land her? Out of the way of a man with a maiden. And that oftentimes is the attitude that the rebellious son and the adulterous person takes to say, what have I done wrong? Why do I deserve justice? Why do I deserve judgment? Sometimes this blindness is a spiritual blindness that we need the Holy Spirit to come and open our eyes. Other times it is a willful blindness to where we say, I know exactly what I'm doing is wrong and I'm going to do it anyway. If you find yourself knowing God's law, looking at God's law, listening to God's call on your life and saying, nope, that's not for me. I'm going to go my own way. You should not be surprised when judgment comes. And as I said, that judgment comes because both the rebellious child and the adulterous person are making a direct attack on what God has declared to be the natural order of things. And that is a marriage between a husband and wife. So I want us to take a few minutes today to look at why is that the natural order of things? The reality is that in our culture, these two people, the the rebellious child and the adulteress are lifted up as free spirits and open minded people who are not constrained by the chains of a horrifically oppressive morality. But the Bible says the opposite. The rebellious child, the sexually incontinent are in danger of judgment because they attack the natural order that God has ordained. When we go back to Genesis 1 and 2, we see two things that are involved in God's ordination and installation, institution of marriage. First, in Genesis 1, 26 through 28, man is, is, as they are created in God's image, God says that they have a mission. What is the mission of humanity? The mission of humanity is to fill the earth and subdue it. God placed the garden in the midst of enemy territory, if you will. He made this perfect place where humanity and God could dwell together. And he says, subdue the rest of the world. Expand the boundaries of this garden to cover the entire earth so that God's glory may reside unobstructed and unopposed upon the earth. But before Adam and Eve could expand the boundaries of the garden, they had to fill it. And so God said to Adam, he said, bring the animals and march them in front of you. The animals had been given the command to fill the earth, not to subdue, but they had been given the command to fill. So Adam has all the animals marched in front of him. He names them according to God's will, according to God's command. And and he notices something wrong. 
they can reproduce, but he can't. And so God puts Adam to sleep. He, he, he creates woman and Adam wakes up and sings a song. And he moves forward into his role of filling and subduing the earth. Marriage is the God-ordained means by which humanity fills the earth and subdue it. Now, this is oftentimes called the natural law defense for traditional marriage. Nature shows us that it takes a man and a woman to procreate, and therefore marriage should be comprised of a man and a woman. And while this is true, it doesn't go far enough. And that leads us to the second reason that God has ordained marriage, and it's that it reflects his nature. The formula given for us for the creation of humanity in Genesis 1 and 2, specifically Genesis 1, 26, begins with, let us create man in our image. The triune God has set humanity apart in a way that he does not set apart the rest of creation. No other created being on this earth is created or called the image of God. As the image of God, we reflect his glory in certain ways. And one of the ways that's important for this to understand is that we reflect God's nature in the fact that he is a God who relates. As the triune God, three persons in one, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, he exists in perfect divine relationship. He doesn't need us to have a relationship with other people. He is a perfect relationship within himself. He is perfect love. He is perfect companionship. He is perfect friendship. And as part of our being in the image of God, that is the reality that we were created as social creatures. We were created for relationship. So God, once again, same event, I'm just making, Mentioning it again, God parades the animals before Adam. And not only does he not see that he cannot fulfill the mandate to fill the earth and subdue it, he sees that he is alone. And what does God say about that? It's not good. It's not good that man should be alone. God exists in a relationship of equals, but Adam doesn't. And as the image of God, he should. So God then creates Eve, bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh, As I mentioned before, Adam breaks forth in the glorious poetic song. Adam now exists in a relationship of equals. And this is the main reason that God judges anything that attacks marriage. An attack on marriage is an attack on God himself. The expression of our sexual freedom is an attack against the triune God because it says, I want intimacy without intimacy. I want the ultimate expression of human companionship without the bond that binds two human beings together, an expression of their being created in the image of God. Specifically, according to our scripture today, the adulterer or the adulteress are judged because they are seeking to break a bond that God has joined together that no man or no woman should seek to tear apart. But why the harsh judgment on the child? God takes marriage so seriously that he promises judgment even on the glorious product of a marriage, children. The unrepentant, rebellious child can cause such havoc in a marriage that God calls for harsh punishment to eliminate the threat to the expression of his image in creation. Now in the New Testament era, marriage is still an important expression of God's image, but it points to a greater reality 
which is the relationship between Jesus and the church. So single people, you are not less of an image of God because you are not married. As members of a local church, you reflect that image in a glorious and God-honoring way. This is why Jesus says to the unrepentant, rebellious church members should be cast out in Matthew 18. And Paul applies this teaching to the sexually immoral in 1 Corinthians 5. We must also consider that judgment doesn't come through fire and brimstone. It doesn't always come through fire and brimstone. Many times judgment comes, as we learned and talked about in Sunday school today, through God saying, fine, have it your way. Sex engaged in for the merely physical aspects is found to be empty. The sexual revolution of the 60s led to the hookup culture of the Generation X and the millennials. And statistics are showing us that the later millennials and Gen Z are just not having sex at the rate of previous generations. I believe that part of the reason is that sex without boundaries and expression of the image of God through marriage is found to be empty and unsatisfying. Even sex and marriage without those boundaries is empty and unfulfilling. We as humans want to play at marriage without actually entering into it. We think that marriage is something that stifles us, that, that limits us, or that, that forces us into a mold. The good news is that it is something that stifles us, that presses us into a mold. For the Christian, it stifles our sinful inclination and presses us into God's holy mold for who he wants us to be. Your spouse will not change you. God will through marriage. Marriage is not something that evolved as a society evolved to to preserve life. Marriage isn't something that God gave us merely, merely for procreation. Marriage and sex are earthly expressions of who God is and how he relates to his creation, specifically his church. And you and I treat it so flippantly. Beware what you dabble with in the area of marriage. So does the author of Proverbs leave us without hope? Absolutely not, because God inspired it and God is not a God who leaves us without hope. Verse 32 says, if you have played the fool and exalted yourself or if you have planned evil, clap your hand over your mouth. And then he warns that just like churning butter, milk produces butter, just like twisting. Actually, the word there is literally the same word as churning. Um, So pressing the nose produces blood. So stirring up anger produces strife. When we stir up God's anger, we will take, we will receive discipline or judgment, but clap your hand over your mouth. The picture there is a child once again who has given mom and dad all the excuses for why they have disobeyed. And mom or dad looks at the child and says, son, daughter, I love you. But there is no excuse for what you did. And the child in a godly shame bows their head and just shuts up, realizing there are no more excuses for sin. The only thing to do is to repent and to throw yourselves upon the mercy of the parent 
It's a picture here. Just like we open chapter 30 with a call to repentance, we close chapter 30 with a call to repentance. If you find yourself in the place where you are one who is directly attacking God's nature through taking marriage for granted or for attacking marriage, clap your hand over your mouth. Throw yourself upon the mercy of the cross and find forgiveness. We talked earlier about how unnatural it is for a servant to violently usurp the throne of a king. That should make us look forward to the reality that we see in Matthew 4, where Jesus, after having been in the wilderness for 40 days and for 40 nights, after fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, Satan comes to him and says, eat bread. He said, no, man shall not live by the bread alone. He shall live um, by every word of the Lord. Satan takes him to the high point of the temple and says, throw yourself off and God will send angels. And Jesus says, no, is it not written that you shall not tempt the Lord your God? And then Satan comes to Jesus and he says, now, look, I understand. God has promised you the throne. That you can rule every nation, every tribe, every tongue will be yours to rule. And the pathway to the throne goes through the cross. I'm going to give you a shortcut. Worship me and I'll give it to you right now, today. How does Jesus respond? He quotes Deuteronomy 6.13. He says, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. The usurper's route to the throne for Jesus was a false route. It was a false promise that Satan gave him. And he said, the only way for me to rule is to secure the salvation of those who will clap their hands over their mouth, who will repent and turn to me. That is the hope left to us there in verse 32, that yes, many of us have taken our marriages for granted. Many of us have idolized our spouses All of us, you and I, have stabbed at who God is through the disrespecting of our parents and of our marriage. God says, clap your hand over your mouth and I will give you forgiveness. I will restore you and I will show my love to you. The one who refused to take the throne through force is the one that offers you forgiveness, the one that offers you salvation. We must see our sin and stop making excuses and throw ourselves on the saving work of Christ. Brothers and sisters, be assured God's judgment is coming. And unfortunately, many of you are blind to that reality. God provides a way of salvation. Do not miss it. The excuse, well, I didn't do anything wrong, will not stand. Quiet your excuses and turn in humility to the God who offers salvation. Let us pray. Our God and Father, we repent to you today. We have idolized our marriages. We have idolized the institution of marriage. We have forgotten that marriage points to you. And therefore, we have trampled on marriage in our own lives. Maybe not to the extent, well, no, that's an excuse that I should clap my hand over my mouth for. 
forgive us and remind us that through the meal we are about to partake, that we throw ourselves upon the mercy of the cross with no hope in ourselves, but only in Christ. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God has made his word effective for salvation and sanctification today through the preaching and teaching and through the celebration of the Lord's Supper. And so as we leave this place today, we go with this blessing. Grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father in Christ Jesus our Lord. And we pray, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Amen.